Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Community Church of Willow Street's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how to be more engaged with our church, check us out online at gccws.net, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message, and we are praying that it leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. morning. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we truly do adore you this morning, Lord. We are so grateful for all that you have done, for the ways in which you move in our hearts and in our lives. We thank you especially, Lord, for the amazing ways in which you're moving and the amazing things that you're doing here at Grace Community Church. We thank you for this wonderful community that we have to pursue our faith in Jesus, to pursue our lives together as you have called us to. Lord, we are seeing so many good things happening here in Willow Street and at Bethel and at Peckway. Lord, for the ways in which you are moving in all these congregations, God, we are so grateful. We praise you and give you glory. Lord, we thank you also for the ways in which you are moving abroad uh, in, the, in our missionaries as we support. Uh, Lord, we thank you, especially this, this month, we're thinking of Beth Grimm and for the work that she's doing with Wycliffe Bible Translators. Lord, we, we just pray for her work, that you would continue to call her uh, to do amazing things, the things that most of us couldn't even dream of doing. We thank you for the work that you're doing in her and how you're moving through her. We thank you also for her mom and for uh, she has recently moved into an assisted living facility. Lord, we thank you for your provision in that. And we pray that as she meets with doctors and physical therapists, Lord, that you would uh, give them wisdom in how to help her and treat her, uh, that she would continue to, to get better through her physical therapy. And Lord, this morning we are just grateful for all that you have done for the word that you have for us this morning. Lord, we are waiting expectantly for you to speak to us. Lord, that you would just speak through Pastor Mike as he preaches. Turn our hearts towards your word that we might lift our eyes to you, to see you in a new way, to be changed by the word that you have for us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you very much, Pastor Kevin. Did you know that our 27-year-old congregation, Grace Community Church, is actually birthed out of 179-year-old church that is still worshiping today? that that church was founded in 1843 and its first building was 
on North Water Street, 100 block of North Water Street in the city of Lancaster. In fact, the building, the core of the building is still there. I drove down there, parked, and, and stood back and looked at the Moose Lodge on Water Street, and you can see behind it the uh, outline of what was a church building. It's worth a drive because Meese's Candy is nearby, and you can stop there for some uh, peanut butter, creams, and milk. That's my favorite, by the way. That church existed then and grew for 50 years, when in 1893, a pastor came by the name of D. Wesley Bixler. And Reverend Bixler had a heart for the poor and the sick of Lancaster, and he envisioned a way to help them. So he gathered together 60 community and business leaders, and the next thing you know, Lancaster General Hospital was founded out of the vision of that congregation on Water Street. The original hospital is located at 322 North Queen Street in the city. It's still there. It's a vintage clothing store today. The first year Lancaster General Hospital was open, they had 53 patients, 22 surgical, 31 medical. And if you went to Lancaster General Hospital for a full week of treatment, your room, your board, all your medicines, all your doctors, all your tests, $5 total for the entire week. No copay, no coinsurance. You paid $5. If you couldn't afford it, the church paid it for you. That church continued to grow. 1899, they left the Water Street location, changed their name to Grace, and moved to Shippen and Locust Street in the city of Lancaster. In 1954, they noticed growth on the west end of town, and so they established Trinity Evangelical Congregational Church on Hershey Avenue. In 1968, they noticed growth on the east end of town, and so they established Faith Evangelical Congregational Church on the old Philadelphia Pike. In 1973, they were responsible for helping to establish and build the very first evangelical congregational church in Tokyo, Japan, where they established, along with the leadership there in Tokyo, Kyoto Grace Evangelical Congregational Church. And then years later, in 1995, Pastor Will and Barbie Martin, 35 members of that church, had vision to establish a church on the rim of the southern end of Lancaster County, and the vision and the church called Grace Community Church was founded. Now, what I find interesting about that church history is that history truly does repeat itself, and many times in a very positive way. I mean, just consider with me how the DNA of our mother church is part of the DNA of our church today, that our congregation continues to have a burden for the city of Lancaster, and we're vitally engaged and connected to ministries like Water Street in the city of Lancaster, that in addition to that, we too have looked around at the neighborhoods or the communities around us, and instead of planting new churches, we've seen churches that are struggling, and so we're going to Conestoga, to Peckway, and we're helping to establish gospel-centered churches in those communities that have a focus on their community. And what's really cool is that here we are as Grace Community Church in Willow Street helping to establish Grace Garden Church, the fourth evangelical congregational church in Abina, a suburb of Tokyo, under the leadership of one of our pastoral assistants, Reverend Yorio Shiabe. So truly, history does repeat itself. One of the things I found about history, because I love history, is that history can inspire and inform our present and also our future. Today, I wanna to talk about church history because we've already talked about how the church is the bride of Christ, the church is the body of Christ, the church is the flock of God, and that pastors are shepherds for the church. So why not spend a little time today talking about church history? Because after all, the Word of God records a lot of history, from Genesis to the Chronicles to Kings and Samuel, right through to the book of Acts. There is history all over the Bible. Why does God give us that history? Because God wants to inspire us, and he wants to inform us, and he wants to help us shape our present 
as well as our future. The history of the church begins in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. You know the story, I think, and that story is that after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension to the right hand of the Father in heaven, Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit of God was poured out upon the believers. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41, is recorded for us the founding of the church of Jesus Christ. It was the very first church. We call it the early church. You heard the record of the activities and the atmosphere of that early church first recorded for us in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 this morning. And I believe that those verses speak to who we are today, that they are there by the, by the authorship of God to inspire us and to inform us and to shape and mold who we are as a church today if we're willing to study them, if we're willing to apply their truths in our lives. Now, the activities of the very first church, the early church, are pretty much the same as the activities of our church. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That means they were devoted to the teaching and preaching of God's word, and we are too. They were devoted to praying together. They were devoted to having fellowship. They were devoted to worshiping together, and we are too. All of those activities of the early church, however, created a certain atmosphere within the church. And one of the things that, that intrigues me is this question, what did it feel like to go into the church in 33 AD? Now, we know that they didn't have buildings like we do today. They met in houses. They had house churches. But they were still the church because the church's people gathered together. So what was the atmosphere? What did it feel like to worship in the early church? Well, Acts chapter 2 gives us a couple of hints to that. And the very first thing that Acts chapter 2 teaches us is that the church was a loving church. It's a loving church. In addition to being devoted to the teaching of the apostles, that is, the word of God, they were devoted to something called fellowship, according to Acts 2. Fellowship, in this particular portion of Scripture, is the Greek word koinonia, and it means shared life. In other words, they were devoted to doing life together, spending time with each other, growing together in Jesus Christ. And as they did that, as they actually did not forsake the assembling of, of themselves together, but actually came together for worship and for teaching and for fellowship, they grew in love for each other and with each other. They were a church that when you walked in, you could say, my goodness, look how they love each other. There were expressions of that love all over the church. And one of the first expressions that Luke tells us about in Acts chapter 2 is that they practiced generosity. Look, if you would, at verse 44, and notice that the Word of God very clearly says that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They practiced generosity in that they had everything in common. Now, this isn't communism. This is not socialism. This is God describing to us the attitude of the early church and the first believers in the early church. And here is the attitude that they had. If I have something and you need it, if I can do something for you and you need me to do that, I'm here for you. I will give you what I have. I will give, do what I can for you. I will make a sacrifice of not only what I own, but also the time that I have because I love you and I want to be generous towards you with what I have. Some of us have, over the course of time, described generous people by things like, well, let me tell you, he would give you the shirt off his back. 
the church of Jesus Christ, when it was established, was so generous, they would give you the shirt off their back. Let me tell you how generous they were. Look at verse 45, and notice that the word of God says that, that they were so generous that they actually would sell their possessions and their goods, and they would give to anyone who had need. In other words, they were willing to make whatever sacrifices they had to in order to make sure that their brothers and sisters in Christ had their needs met. Now, where does that generosity come from? Let me tell you that generosity is not unique to our nature. It is not natural to us. That generosity is something that needs to be driven into us, formed in us by the Holy Spirit of God. We are not by nature generally generous people because by nature we are self-centered people. That's what sin does to us. So what we have, we wanna keep for ourselves. The time that we have, my goodness, today time is as precious as whatever you might have invested for your retirement. And so, man, I wanna keep my time for myself. But that wasn't true in the early church. And the reason that wasn't true is because they had powerfully experienced the love of God in Jesus Christ. And when you experience the love of God in Jesus Christ, it does something to you. It changes you from the inside out, and one of the ways in which it changes you is it makes you a very generous person. Now, I know that because the Word of God teaches that. Look, if you would, at 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, and notice what John says, and this is the Word of God. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech or the cards that you buy at the Hallmark store that are insanely expensive at $5.99, unless you go to the Dollar Tree for two for $1.25. Let us not love in that way, but with actions and in truth. If I have something and a brother or sister needs it, if I can do something for them, I love them and I want to be generous. They practice generosity. Secondly, one of the expressions of love in the early church is that they practice hospitality. Now, biblically defined, hospitality is open heart, open home. That's what a hospitable person is. Person who opens their heart up to others and then will open their home up, and if not their home, at least will say, hey, let's get together, let's have coffee, let's have a meal together, let's go to the park or do this or that. It's that kind of I want to spend time with you mentality. The early church loved each other and they wanted to spend time together. They wanted to get to know one another. In fact, the word of God says in verse 46 that they broke bread together in each other's homes. There is a sense in which this was a church that was not content just to walk in on a Sunday, sit down in their seat, look forward into the face of a pastor or worship leader, do whatever that pastor or worship leader invites them to do, get up and turn around and walk out the door again. 
They walked into church. They looked to their right. They looked to their left. They looked immediately in front of them. They turned around at the end of the service and scoured the congregation to see who was there. And they found people and they met them and they introduced themselves and they got to know them. We need to do that in the church as well. You know, it's not a throwaway at the end of the service when I say to you, now turn and greet one another. That is not just something that I say because I don't know what else to say at the end of the service. I say that because I want you to get to know one another. And I want you to make friends and form acquaintances and build bridges. And listen, we all forget names, every one of us. There's this misnomer out there that I always remember everybody's name. That is simply not true. And there are people here who, you know, you'll bring a friend the first time, tell me who they are, bring them back the second time and throw a pop quiz at the door for me. Who is this, Mike? I don't always know. So I default to, you know, general names like Olive and George. I, you know, I don't know. It's okay if you don't know everybody's name. It's okay if you say, you know what, I think I met you before. Tell me your name. I want to get to know you a little bit better since we're part of the same church family. We have to do that, and that's form of hospitality. Now, thirdly, we know that the church loved each other. We know that the atmosphere is a loving one because they also practice unity. Unity is an often misunderstood concept in the Christian church. Bible teacher, radio Bible teacher Chuck Swindoll, in one of his writings, define unity the best way that I've ever seen it defined. This is what Chuck Swindoll writes. He begins with union, and he says, union has an affiliation with others, but no common bond that makes them one in heart. My dad was a member of a union, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers. I don't remember the number it was here in Lancaster, but he was a member of IBEW. He worked at Bermuda Corporation, and that's what he did for a living. So he was in a union, and he paid his dues, and he had an affiliation with that union. There were other men in the union, but there was no real common bond that made them one in heart. Uniformity has everyone looking and thinking alike. Can you imagine how boring the church would be if we were all plain vanilla? And that's just all that would be. I mean, you need brown butter, brickle, almond ice cream every once in a while to mix things up, or Wilbur Bud ice cream, or cherry vanilla, or, you know, chocolate chip mint, or, or you know, well, you know, you got the picture, right? And I'm getting you hungry as I talk about it, and a waffle cone. But anyway, you need to mix it up a little bit in the church, that's not unity. Unity is not unanimity. Unanimity is complete agreement across the board. Can you imagine what election night would be like in the United States of America if there was unanimity in our nation? We would put out of business ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, and Fox, hallelujah and amen. <laughs> that's not unity. Here's what unity is. Unity refers to a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose an agreement on the major points of doctrine. It's when our hearts are knit together and we love each other and we care deeply about each other. And there are certain essential things that we agree are of critical importance for our agreement. There are so many non-essentials that churches argue over and it's ridiculous. But there are essentials that unfortunately some churches aren't arguing over anymore, and they should. For example, the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative word of God, and there is no other word of God except the word of God called the Bible. Amen? It's an essential. 
Jesus Christ is the one and only Savior of the world. There is salvation in no other name except the name of Jesus. And if you want to be saved, you need to come to know Jesus alone as Savior and Lord. And then there is the essential called the church. That once you come to faith in Christ, he adopts you into his family, makes you part of the church, and it's your responsibility then to carry out the gifts and graces God has given you by being part of the church of Jesus Christ. When you grab a hold of those essentials, when you agree on the major points of doctrine, you can knit together your heart with other brothers and sisters and be of one mind and one purpose and one heart in the church of Jesus Christ. It really doesn't matter what color the carpet is, doesn't matter how bright or how dark the sanctuary may be at any point in time, doesn't matter what songs we sing or don't sing, those are all non-essentials and they are not to be debated over. The issue is, are we united together over the things that really matter to the heart of God. Now, how important is unity? Let me tell you how important it is. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, later in the prayer, prays this. Look at John chapter 17 with me, and I want you to notice what he says in this prayer. I have given them the glory, now he's speaking to his Father, I have given them the glory that you gave me, Father, so that they may be one as we are one. I in them, and you are in me. But notice what he says next. Very powerful truth. May they, meaning the church, experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What Jesus is saying here is that unity in the church of Jesus Christ is a tool in the hand of God to bring men and women to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Now listen, friends. When a church that you're in goes off the rails and they literally abandon the scriptures and abandon Jesus, then your church has abandoned you. And you need to find a church where you can be united, one in heart and mind, because those are essential doctrines. But when you find that church, you need to put your hand to the plow and you need to contribute to the unity of that church around the essentials of the faith because the world is looking at the church and they want to see something different than they see in the culture around them. What they see right now in the culture around them is divisiveness, brokenness, animosity, acrimony. They are, they are seeing a, a witness to horrible things, not good things. And what the church needs to be in as the culture gets darker is a bright light for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we are united together, the word of God says, the world will know that you sent me and you love them as much as you love me. I've been in ministry long enough that no one has ever said to me, when I'm looking for a church, I was looking for one where they argue a lot. I really wanted to be in a church where the congregational meetings are like all out brawls. I mean, those are fun. That's what I'm looking for. No one has ever said that because the church that people long to be in is the United Church where there's unity and love around the person of Jesus Christ. They practice generosity, they practice hospitality, they practice unity, and as a result, they were a loving church. Secondly, when you walked into the early church, you would also notice that they were a joyful church. I mean, this church loved to have a good time together. They loved to party, if you will, and their party was focused on Jesus Christ. Man, when they worship, they worship with all their heart, 
How do we know that? Because of the phrases that are used in Acts chapter 2. They worship with glad and sincere hearts according to the word of God. And not only that, but the word of God also says that when they came together, they actually had this sense of wanting to praise God and, and enjoy one another and the favor of the people around them. This was a church that pulsated with the joy of the Lord. Uh, as I put this message together in the middle of last week, I thought, you know, the song that we sing, there's joy in the house of the Lord. That's what this church was like. There was joy in the house of the Lord. The church that is pleasing to God, the one that God smiles upon, is the church that is loving. And when you walk in the door, you sense a certain joyfulness in that church. Does that always happen? My goodness, no. Because the church is human like we are human. And so you can't always achieve that. But but bottom line is, across, across the life of a church, the healthy church, the church that pleases God, is a joyful church. And that joy is contagious. The Word of God says that the church, the early church, enjoyed the favor of all the people. That means <laughs> that the people who were Christians and not Christians loved the church. I think that's interesting. But I'm not surprised by that. Because, you know, when you live in a culture that is divided like the Roman culture was at that time and like our culture is today, you really are looking for a place where people actually do love each other, where they actually do care about each other, and where they actually seem to be having a good time together, as diverse as they may be. You know, the church here in the early church was diverse. You do know that, don't you? They were young and they were old. They were wealthy and they were not so wealthy. They were people who were working in the higher echelons of the city government, and they were people that had no voice at all or even a vote in the city government. And yet, when they came together as a church, they were united together and they were joyful in Christ. Now, that leads to a third observation about the atmosphere of this church. Thirdly, God was at work in this church. Turn your attention, if you would, to verse 43. And notice what Luke says. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, over the years, when I would teach or preach this passage, people would say, oh, you know, what are these wonders and miraculous signs? Because there are probably things that we can't do today or we don't see happening today. I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that when Luke talks about the fact that in this church there was an atmosphere that was awesome, that there were wonders and miraculous signs, what he's talking about is people's lives were changed. Lives were changed by Jesus Christ. And this is not some kind of supernatural, Pentecostal, unusual thing that doesn't happen anymore. This is what happens today. Last weekend, I announced to you as we opened our services that the previous Thursday, 18 children came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is not natural. That is a powerful work of God in the hearts of 18 children. What I didn't tell you is that same day, our pastors led two adults in our congregation to a saving knowledge of Jesus. In that one day, 20 people came to a faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, that is a miraculous sign. That is a wonder of God. Hallelujah. That's what God does. And we're seeing that happen today. 
Like I'm sitting in my office on Monday afternoon and I'm looking at the, at the sign up, the planning center sign up for Now Go. And I noticed that 13 people signed up there and I have five more names on my desk and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, 18 people want conversations about Now Go. That really surprises me. And immediately I feel convicted by the Holy Spirit. Why are you surprised? You prayed, you asked me to do this, I did it, and now you act surprised about it. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Do you believe that God wants to do a powerful work in your life? Do you believe that God wants to do a powerful work in your church? Because if you believe it, then expect it, and God will do it. And, and, and it may not be according to the plan that you have, but he will still powerfully work because the same God who was working in the church 2,000 years ago is working in the church today. I want to step on some toes this morning. I want to meddle a little bit. Boy, it got quiet. <laughs> Did you come to church today because it's Sunday? It's 11 o'clock? It's what you do? Or did you come to church today fully expecting that God was going to work in your life and the lives of people around you? In fact, did you come today to the point where you actually spent time earlier this morning, or maybe yesterday, asking God to use his word and worship this morning in a powerful way to change you and make you more like him? And actually then beyond yourself, you prayed for everybody seated around you and all the boys and girls who we sometimes forget about who are filling the classrooms in the education wing. Here's the deal. Never allow this to become rote or routine or check the box. I've been to church 11 o'clock on Sunday. Every week, prepare your heart. Spend some time on Saturday, some time on Sunday morning. Ask the Lord to speak to you in powerful ways to change your life from within, to do that in the lives of others. Ask him to show us wonders and miraculous signs as he brings people to himself and helps people grow up in Christ. How does he do that? He does it when we're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Because you see, the instrument that he uses is the word of God anointed by the power of God's spirit. Look at what Hebrews 4.12 testifies to itself as the word of God. The word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between marrow and joint. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You know when you come to church that the word of God is gonna be read and it is gonna be preached. And so it is left now to each one of us to say, Jesus, do something in me through the word of God today. Friends, I knew what the sermon was gonna be coming into these services. You know how I knew that? Oh, come on, I wrote it, that's how I knew it. <laughs> I still prayed and said, Lord, I know what you gave me as a message, but would you do a work in my life 
today. Make me more like yourself. Do you expect God to work? Let me tell you something. This church was a loving church. It was a joyful church. Man, God was at work in this church. You know what happened? Look at the last verse, verse 47. The church grew. Favorite verse in the book of Acts. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Sometimes people look at that and say, oh, I wish we were the early church. Do we really think that it was only 2,000 years ago that God desired to save people every day? He's doing that today. The capital C Church, the world over, the Lord is adding to our number every day. I actually am praying that the Lord will add to our number every day here in Lancaster County, here in Willow Street. Because I want to see these communities come to faith in Christ as entire communities, households coming to faith in Christ. What an incredible gift that God gives us as he gives us the gospel and the church and you put them together and the church declares the gospel and the community is transformed. Now this teaching leads to some soul searching questions. As a church, we have to ask the question, Grace Community Church, what about us? What about our church? Is this who we are? Is this the atmosphere of Grace Community Church? Are we a loving church, a joyful church? Do we practice generosity, hospitality, unity together? Do we believe that God will actively work in our midst? But that question actually boils down to something even more personal. A local church is the sum of its many parts. We are who we are because each of you are who you are. So, we will only be these things. We will only be loving, joyful, generous, hospitable, united, if each of us makes those things a priority in our lives. The church is the sum of its parts. And so all of a sudden this becomes very personal. That's why I prayed for myself. Am I the loving person that God wants me to be in my church? Am I generous? Am I hospitable? Am I a contributor to the unity of the body? Do I expect God to do amazing work? And am I a contributor to his powerful work of adding to the number daily those who are being saved? As I read and study this scripture, I am soberly but joyfully reminded that this record of the history of the early church is intended to inspire and to inform our church today. And it begins with me, and it begins with you. Will we be the church that God has called us to be? Let's pray together. I want to invite you to, in the next moment or two, just spend a little time with Jesus in the quietness of this sanctuary. And I want you to ask him to search your heart and based on the things we learned about the church, loving, joyful, generous, hospitable, united, expecting God to work, ask him, Lord, what needs to change in me so that I can be more like
the church that you want us to be. Thanks for listening to today's message and choosing to spend some time with us today. To get more information about Grace Community Church, our service times, and our location, check out our website at gccws.net.